There is a path, a highway in the spiritual world, and it ends at a place certain. Isaiah 2, verse 3, And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. Isaiah 35, 8, And then highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring man, though fools shall not err therein. Jesus speaks in Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This highway is basically one. Its travelers choose the direction. I like to call it Route 7, as 7 is God's perfect number, and it represents Christ. Route 7 North obedience leads to heaven and eternal life in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 4.18, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Route 7 South disobedience leads to hell and eternal damnation. Choices are being made. Route 7 North is a person. King Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the only way. Have you been born again as Jesus describes in John 3, 3? Are you ready to turn around on Route 7 and head north? Today is your day to make a U-turn. Today you can participate in the greatest miracle of all time. Today you can be born again. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Psalms 107, verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. God said, Matthew eleven nineteen, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. God said, Romans 10.10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Man said, I choose to believe today's revisionist scholars of unbelief who belittle all that is holy. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said feature article 848 that will once again certify the glorious supernatural credentials of the Word of God. All of these beautiful features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of God's children and as ammunition in the battle for the souls of the sons of Adam. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Be sure to take advantage of three powerful features. One, you have questions. God has answers. Whatever your question, type a keyword into the search bar top right and watch the screen populate with related information from Adam and Eve to quantum physics. Two, use the tell a friend feature above to send a message to someone you love. It's so quick and so easy. Number three, imagine. You can download, download, excuse me, nearly 300 hours of God said, man said features to your electronic device. 
Listen to one every day. Thank you for coming. We are honored by your presence. May God's face shine upon you and yours. The following email came from Brother D.C. I listen to your series daily as I drive, so I am in church continuously while on the road. But I have some questions. Why do we have to speak the king's language? The these, thou's, doest, and other like words just don't sit well with me. God is not English. Christ is Hebrew. Wouldn't it be easier if the Bible used regular English? A person in a third world country may believe that God came from England. My studies of the man King James of England and Christopher Columbus have shown that King James was not a Christian until his deathbed, and Christopher Columbus was a raping, murdering slave seller. Please advise. Thank you, D.C. When God says yes, you can be sure Satan will mount the challenge from his sea of champions to say no. Satan has millions of champions, so it is millions against one. You have to love those odds. Everyone approaches the facts of life through a bias. Let your bias be faith in God's Word. The results will be glorious and eternal. Brother D.C.'s first question is why we speak the king's English, and the answer is quite simplistic. We speak the English language. D.C.'s other points, however, do deserve more attention because what he is articulating is today's common misinformation which comes from the same tainted fountain that boldly proclaims man's beginning is slime to man. D.C. writes, The these, thou's, doest, and other like words just don't sit well with me. And answer the following paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Disappointed and Critical. The following excerpt concerning the readability of the King James is from an article written by Henry M. Morse titled, a creationist defense of the King James Bible. Mr. Morse, one of America's most prolific biblical and scientific writers, is the founder and president emeritus of ICR, Institution for Creation Research. The beautifully poetic prose of the King James is a great treasure which should not be lost or forgotten. It has been acclaimed widely as the greatest example of English literature ever written. Apart from a few archaic words or words whose meanings has changed, which can easily be clarified in footnotes, it is easy to understand today as it was 400 years ago. That is why the common people today, especially those without higher education, still use and love it. It is usually the intelligentsia who tend to favor the modern versions. These modern translations commonly tend to use long words and pedantic rhetoric, but the King James uses mostly one- and two-syllable words. Formal studies have always shown its readability index to be 10th grade or lower. There is nothing hard to understand about John 3.16, for example, or Genesis 1.1, or the Ten Commandments in the King James. There are some sections of the Bible, of course, that are quite complex in the original language, and thus a faithful translation should preserve that same complexity. After all, God inspired it that way. But all the basic histories, doctrines, and precepts are easy to follow by anyone who can read at high school level. Many sections can easily be read by children as soon as they learn to read at all. In fact, in earlier times here in America, children were actually taught to read by means of the King James Bible, end of quote. 
Dr. Morse addresses one of the principal complaints concerning the readability of the King James, which is the use of words thee and thou and other similar words. Dr. Morse says, We have abandoned today many fine points of English grammar commonly used in 1600. For example, we forget that thee, thou, and thine were used to express the second person singular, with you, ye, and yours reserved for second person plural. Today we use you indiscriminately for both singular and plural, thereby missing some of the precise meaning of many texts of Scripture. The same applies to the th and st endings on verbs associated with second-person pronouns. They also contribute significantly to the musical quality of the language, especially as used in the King James Bible. The translators were not only biblical scholars, but accomplished writers, and one of the deliberate goals, in fact, a part of their assignment was to produce a Bible that would sing with beauty and power and would also retain literal faithfulness to the Greek and Hebrew text, which had themselves been written with majestic musical beauty. End of quotes. Jesus Christ was dubbed in his day as a glutton and a wine-bibber, though he was neither. He was, and in some circles still is, also known as a bastard and a sorcerer, and even just a deluded mortal man who happened to die a most ignoble death on a cross of shame. The eyes of the faithful see the exact opposites of these descriptions. Unfortunately for the revisionist, the men they have impugned, as seen in D.C.'s email, King James and Christopher Columbus, have spoken for themselves. As Psalms 107.2 states, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The allegation that King James of the authorized King James Version of the Holy Bible was an unbeliever and only a believer upon his deathbed is destroyed by the king's own hand. Again, from God Said, Man Said featured disappointed and critical, where we are answering a challenge by R.G., you will find the following. By the king's own pen, your assertion that King James was a non-believer is also proven false, R.G., let me bring to your attention a 153-page treatise authored by King James for the instruction of his young son, Prince Henry, in the event the king would die an untimely death. The writing was titled Basilican Doran, which translates to the kingly gift. An excerpt from the treatise follows. Diligently read his word and earnestly pray for the right understanding thereof. Search the Scriptures, saith Christ, for they will bear testimony of me. The whole Scriptures, saith Paul, are profitable to teach, to improve, to correct, and to instruct in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect unto all good works. The whole Scripture containeth but two things, a command and a prohibition. Obey in both. The worship of God is wholly grounded upon the Scripture, quickened by faith. End of quote. The, uh, the evangelistic grant charter, as it was called for the settling of the colony of Virginia, was authored and written by the hand of King James. An excerpt follows. To make habitation and to deduce a colony of sundry of our people into that part of America commonly called Virginia and propagating of Christian religion to such people as, as yet live in darkness to bring a settled 
and quiet government, end of quote. A final statement concerning the godly credentials of King James, written by author B. Bradley, follows. King James I of England was born in 1567. He was crowned King of Scotland at the age of 13 months. He became King of England upon the death of Queen Elizabeth I in 1603. By the age of eight, he had mastered the Latin, Greek, French, Italian, and Spanish languages. James was a born-again believer and a Protestant. He was a devout believer in salvation by grace and the divinely inspired Word of God. He wrote a devotional commentary on the book of Revelation and a work entitled Meditations on the Lord's Prayer. He published a pamphlet against the use of tobacco. He also translated the book of Psalms into English. His work, however, never appeared in the authorized version of the Bible which bears his name. King James was the first earthly monarch to encourage the propagation of God's word in the language of the people. He wanted the word of God to be in the hands, the hearts, and the homes of his subjects, not chained to the pulpits or read only by scholars and theologians. End of quotes. Concerning King James and his own confession, author G.A. Ripplinger writes in her 1184-page book, In Awe of Thy Word, the following. King James I stated that it is the Scriptures which must be an infallible ground to all true Christians. He stated that the whole Scripture is dictated by God's Spirit, and all that is necessary for salvation is contained in the Scripture. His contemporaries knew he was deeply read in Scripture. He could quote its text with great facility, knew it even with philosophical exactness. He felt so strongly about the Bible translation project that he said he would pay for it from his own princely disposition salary. The translators, too, felt a love for their project and struggled along on their own means. The king's love for the Bible was evidenced when he visited Oxford in 1605. He asked that Bible verses be placed all over town, in homes, churches, schools, and on buildings. End of quote. Ripplinger also refers to King James' writings to his son. King James, uh, King James wrote a book for his son entitled Basilicon Doran, which later became an international bestseller. In it, the king stated that he was praying God that as you are regenerated and born in him anew, so you may rise to him and be sanctified in him forever with white garments washing in the blood of the Lamb. King James adds, Now faith is the free gift of God, as Paul saith. It must be nourished by prayer, which is no thing else but a friendly talking to God. Use off to pray when ye are quiet, especially in bed. An ambassador from Venice reported of James in 1607, he is a Protestant. The king tries to extend his Protestant religion to the whole island. King James wrote that evil is never to be done, that good may happen. He called sodomy and witchcraft horrible crimes. He advised his son when choosing friends to guard against corrupt lads and effeminate ones. Eskew, avoid to be effeminate in your clothes. The king admonished him to be ever careful. To prefer the, the to prefer the gentlest natured companions and enjoy frequent hearing of the word of God, and Basilicon Doran the king also told his son not only to be born again in Christ but also to live the Christian life. 
Holiness being the first and most requisite quality of a Christian as proceeding from true fear and knowledge of God. He admonished his son further to count every sin and breach of God's law, not according as the vain world esteems it, but as God, judge and maker of the law, accounts of the same. The Dictionary of National Biography states that James was decidedly pure. A contemporary wrote in 1602, among his good qualities, none shines more brilliantly than the chasteness excuse me, of his life, which he has preserved without stain down to the present time, contrary to the example of almost all his ancestors. One Italian visitor described James' chastity and added, In his eyes and in his outward appearance, there is a certain natural kindness bordering on modesty. He wears his hair short. About food and clothing, he does not care. Regarding wealth, King James said, I wish, therefore, that some may have single coats or one living before others have doubles or pluralities. Francis Bacon, a contemporary, described James as a prince, the farthest from the appearance of vainglory that may be, and rather like a prince of the ancient form than of the latter time. A Venetian diplomat wrote of James in 1619, he treats all those who serve him with the utmost kindness and familiarity. End of quotes. D.C., King James has left a deep testimony by his own hand. What you have just read is a very small sample. Great men of God, both in the Scriptures and since, have many times led flawed lives, but God's grace was and is sufficient. Samson, David, Solomon, Jonah, Peter, Christopher Columbus, D.C., and myself come to mind. Concerning Christopher Columbus, you'll find the following excerpts in the God Said, Man Said feature Columbus the Christ-bearer. There has been much banter as well as numerous challenges by liberal educators over the past 50 years as to whether America was founded as a Christian nation. Their code words are the separation of church and state, so-and-so was a deist and not a Christian, or the Vikings versus the Christian Christopher Columbus and so on. These notions cloud the minds of those who never take the time to research the roots of this glorious land. I must qualify this feature by clearly stating that there were indigenous groups of people inhabiting parts of the Americas prior to Columbus, but the present civilization, organizations, and governments were originally founded in Jesus' name. Regarding the United States, there is no doubt that its foundation is Jesus Christ. On God Said, Man Said, there is a series which illuminates the godly foundation of the entire Western Hemisphere, and you can read them all here. The 384-page book, The Light and the Glory, is a historic account of the Americas written by Peter Marshall and David Manuel. The authors reveal abundant histories of the past that say yes to the voice, the providence, and direction of God and to the root of this great land. America is a nation founded upon Jesus Christ. God's providential hand can be seen in the stories of the lives of the men who founded it. This article is about just such a man named Christopher Columbus. The following information and quotes are from The Light and the Glory. Christopher Columbus was a man sent by God, and he knew it. 
Although his arrogance and stubborn attitude could get the best of him sometimes, he was a man of iron will, and his sailing skills were second to none. We are always reminded when learning of Christopher Columbus on, of how he accidentally found the Americas and searched for a faster route to Asia. What we usually do not hear is that he simply wished to fulfill God's will for his life, and he knew that making a trip to the West was God's will. He believed that God had a supernatural mission for him to carry the light of Christ into undiscovered heathen lands, and his name Christopher, Christ-bearer, was proof of this. In his personal journal, he would quote lines from Isaiah, such as Isaiah 49, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. The following passage was taken from Columbus's own journal. It was the Lord who put into my mind, I could feel his hand upon me, the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit, because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. I am a most unworthy sinner, but I have cried out to the Lord for grace and mercy, and they have covered me completely. I have found the sweetest consolation since I made in my whole purpose to enjoy his marvelous presence. For the execution of the journey to the Indies, I did not make use of intelligence, mathematics, or maps. It is simply the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied. From the God Said, Man Said feature Columbus 3, you'll find the following. Christopher Columbus was a lover of God and the Christ of glory. When his feet first landed in the new world, he brought this prayer and praise unto God. O Lord Almighty and everlasting God, by thy holy word, thou hast created the heaven and the earth and the sea. Blessed and glorified be thy name, and praise be thy majesty, which hath deigned to use us, thy humble servants, that thy holy name may be proclaimed on this second part of the earth. End of quote. The dream soon turned into a nightmare, and Columbus was at the center of it, being the appointed governor of the island. Columbus imposed a tax on the Indians, which they were often unable to pay. This resulted in the Indians being savagely beaten by the Spanish tax collectors. Things ended up getting so out of hand that the king and queen reluctantly removed Columbus from being governor. Eventually, making his way back to Spain, Columbus, Columbus had become somewhat of an embarrassment to the people who assigned mocking titles to him behind his back. Columbus also eventually gathered another fleet to go search the Indies of gold for gold, which they did find, but at great cost. At one point, Columbus learned that one of the Indian tribes was planning an attack against him. So he launched a preemptive strike against them, taking a large number of hostages and a large quantity of gold. At a nearby river, Columbus heard shooting further upstream. Later that evening, Columbus noticed several of his men's bodies floating down the river. What took place next is best described in Columbus's own words taken from his own journal. I toiled up to the highest point of the ship 
calling in a trembling voice with fast-falling tears to the war captains of your highness at every point of the compass for succor, but neither did they answer me. Exhausted, I fell asleep groaning. I heard a very compassionate voice saying, O fool, and slow to believe and to serve thy God, the God of all. What more did he for Moses or for his servant David? Since thou wast born, ever has he had thee in his most watchful care. When he saw thee arrive at an age with which he was content, he caused thy name to sound marvelously in the land. The Indies, which are so rich in a part of the world, he gave thee for thine own. Thou hast divided them as it pleased thee, and he enabled thee to do this. Of the barriers of the ocean sea, which were closed with such mighty chains, he gave thee the keys and gained honorable fame. What did he more for the people of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt? Or for David, whom from a shepherd he made to be a king in Judea? Turn thyself to him and acknowledge thine error. His mercy is infinite. Thine old age shall not prevent thee from achieving great things. He has many heritages very great. Abraham had passed a hundred years when he begat Isaac, and was Sarah young. Thou criest for uncertain help. Answer, who has afflicted thee so greatly and so often, God or the world? The rewards and promises which he gives, he does not bring to nothing, nor does he say after he has received service, that his intention was not such, and that it is to be differently regarded, nor does he inflict suffering in order to display his power. His deeds agree with his words. All that he promises, he performs with interest. Is this the manner of men? I have said that which thy Creator has done for thee and does for all men. Now in part he shows thee the reward for the anguish and danger which thou hast endured in the service of others. I heard all this as if I were in a trance, but I had no answer to give to words so true, but could only weep for my errors. He, whosoever he was who spoke to me, ended saying, Fear not, have trust, all these tribulations are written upon marble and are not without cause. End of quote. Columbus made it back home to Spain, and in 1506, after saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, Columbus gave up the ghost, and so ended the life of Christopher Columbus. End of quotes. D.C., thank you for your email. May God's face shine upon you. In a parting statement, it is exciting to consider that the authorized King James Version of the Holy Bible is the world's only Bible commissioned by a king, even the king of the English-speaking world. God said, Psalms 107, verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. God said, Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. God said, Romans 10.10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Man said, I choose to believe today's revisionist scholars of unbelief who belittle all that is holy. Now you have the record.